0: You guys ready for the message today? So, we've got a guest speaker this morning that I'm going to welcome up in just a second, Sean Richmond. But let me remind you of what we've been talking about the last couple weeks. Um, We have been kicking off this series. We're titling it Prioritizing His Presence. Everybody say that with me. Say Prioritizing His Presence. So, this phrase kind of came out of something we feel like the Lord was speaking to us as we went into 2024. And this little phrase that we feel like he wants to do with us is he wants to repair our brokenness. A lot of this is taken from Isaiah 61, but he wants to repair the places of brokenness in us. And he's going to do that through two main ways. One, us prioritizing the presence of God, but also two, by us obeying the word of God. So by his presence and by his word, he's going to do a lot of repairing and healing of places of brokenness in our life. I've asked you guys this question every week. I'm just going to ask it again. Anybody besides me have areas of brokenness in your life, things that you would like fixed, <laughs> things that you need help with? Yes? A lot. Okay, yeah. Somebody put two hands up. Amen. That's the real answer. Uh, if you didn't raise your hand, it's okay. We forgive you. Uh, but we know the truth. Uh, anyway, so God loves us, and he sees us, and he cares about us and wants to touch those places of brokenness. There's no shame. There's no condemnation for the sin you're wrestling with. The other struggles or temptations you're going through, but we want to respond to the Lord and say, yes, this invitation, Lord, come and heal me. But there's different means clearly throughout scripture that he uses to bring healing in our lives and his presence and his words. Definitely those things. So anyways, we've been talking about that. And um, one of the practical things that I've really encouraged our church to do, and I'd say this is probably the number one practical daily thing. I would love for you guys to uh, take seriously, and that is uh, connecting with the Lord, having what we would call time with Jesus or alone time with God or devotional life. A lot of different words for it. And so last week, how many of you guys were here last week? I modeled a 30-minute time with Jesus for you, all right? I told you guys that's one of the most uncomfortable things I do. I do it every couple years, but some of you said it was helpful, so you're welcome. So hopefully this week you had some time to practice some of those things, getting in God's presence uh, on your own. But this morning, Sean's going to come and share a little bit more about the presence of God. But let me just uh, tell you a little bit about who Sean is. He'll give another introduction. Uh, But two things. Um, Sean, just such an incredible man of God. I got to know him mainly the last maybe year and a half, two years, because he leads what we call uh, Pastors' Roundtable. So a group of Antioch pastors uh, gather about once a year. I have a, a roundtable of about nine other guys. And it's really just a time for us as pastors to be ministered to which I just need to keep myself sane, but also just to feel encouraged and carried in this pursuit. And so he helps facilitate and lead those, which has been such a blessing. But then also, I think it was two or three weeks ago, on our kind of Vision Sunday, I was reminding us who we are, and I shared just a little bit that, man, everything that we see here, and really this is true for all of our personal lives, but like our life, our testimony, is built on the backs of the people that have gone before us. People that have sacrificed, have uh, oftentimes paid higher prices uh, so that we can experience uh, what we experience. And so when I think about this local church context. Sean has been around the Antioch movement since the very beginning, even before Antioch started. And he was, I think this is true, the very first U.S. church plant sent out up to Boston. And... Um, This guy's just been walking in integrity, carrying a vision for places like this. You know, 25 years later to see another young, new Antioch church uh, is just such an encouragement and a testimony of what God has been speaking to this movement for for decades. And so anyways, we're so privileged to have Sean. So you guys give a really warm Northwest Arkansas greeting to Sean Richman. Come on, give it up to Sean. Woo, 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 woo. (laughs) Woo. All right. Hey, we're going to pray for Sean. You guys agree with me. Lord, we thank you so much for our brother, and we thank you for what you've given him this morning and this message. Open our ears to hear your voice, and Lord, we thank you for the life that he has lived, the sacrifices that he has given over to you to make room, even for people like us, to have these types of moments and experiences with you. So we honor this man of God. We thank you for the word he's going to bring this morning. Prepare our hearts to receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. Take it away, man.
1: Amen, amen. Well, when I am a guest speaker in places, I love to give away books. I want to give away one of my favorite books. The first person up here gets the book. All right, stay here. I actually just took this off the stage. It's the Bible. And so it's my favorite book. I haven't written any books, but congratulations. Uh, You get an Antioch Northwest Arkansas Bible. Very nice. Is it okay for me to give away the Bibles? Okay, good. I'll I'll put something in the offering. Hey, actually, stand back up again. I felt it was prophetic. I'm not joking. I I didn't plan that, but I was looking at the stack of Bibles, and I thought, God, what could be more important than someone to be hungry for the Word of God? So whether or not you are or not, you are now. So, Lord Jesus, what's your name? Jeremy. Jeremy. Lord Jesus, we pray for Jeremy, Lord, that he would run and slide into the presence of God, because he loves your word, and your word would transform him. May he be one who meditates, memorizes, structures his life around that book that's in his hand, and may it not just be a book, may it be a living testimony to him of who you are, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. (laughs) Okay, let me get set up here. You can throw that picture of my family up there while I'm doing this. This is my family. Let me, let me brag on them for a second. So basically, um, Mitchell said, hey, I don't care what you speak on, just come and talk. And so I have about four messages. I hope you brought your lunch. But um, this is my wonderful family, my beautiful bride there um, in the m- maroon dress, uh, my wife, of 30 years, uh-huh. Laura, yeah, yeah. and um, that's my daughter Annie, who just got married January 7th, um, to Jacob uh, Sloan, and um, she is on full-time staff at Inniac as a worship leader, um, my, my oldest daughter, Molly, to the left, with her husband, Nate, behind her, and my first grandchild, little Fia Gray, she was just turned one this week, so I have a year old Granddaughter, That's my son Isaac beside her. He's the fun uncle, the funcle we call him because he's 13 and an uncle. To the far right is my son Jonathan. He lives in Waco as well, married to Cameron. They just got married this summer. A little note, that beautiful Alone with God book that was just advertised, Cameron designed it. So now you really have to buy it. <laughs> Five dollars of that book comes to the Richmond family, so that's really good. Just by a lot of them. No, I'm just kidding. I have no idea. Um, Samuel there, um, besides Cameron, just graduated from high school. He's 19. He lives in Waco. He just did the training school, and is trying to figure out what he's going to do next in his life. Did I name everybody? Okay, awesome. So I'm a grandpa, and um, I'm not only a grandpa of those kiddos, but I'm now the age of being a grandpa in this movement. It's kind of crazy. I don't feel that old, and you say, you don't look that old. Go ahead, everybody. You don't like, thank, thank you. I, pre- I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so I have been involved with Antioch for 25 years. This is a crazy cool thing that just happened today, kind of one of these moments. Susan Ragsdale, who works with the children's ministry, was at Highland Baptist Church with me when the training school in be- started and before Antioch formed. So I walked in. I was like, Susan Whitlatch, that's her maiden name. So good to see you. So we have roots all the way back to Highland Baptist in Texas. And then sitting on the front row are the Menifees. You might not know them as well because they don't go to church here, but their kids go to school with the Welch's kids. And they were talking one day, and Greg goes, Antioch? You mean from Waco? And Greg and Summer were in my church in Boston when we first started our church in Boston. So is that cool? So I've got my Texas roots, my Boston roots, And then I guess for you guys, I'm that crazy uncle, you know, just that crazy uncle that comes in and does whatever he wants, makes people slide on the floor, that kind of thing. Well, you are family. There is something really sweet, not necessarily about Antioch. I do think Antioch is awesome. And I think that there's something beautiful about this tribe of people that we get to walk with. But what's more beautiful than Antioch is the body of Christ. Right, We are a part of a family. When we, those of us in the room who at some point in our life gave our hearts to Jesus, we became a part of an internal family. If you are a believer in Jesus and that person next to you is, turn to them and say, hello, brother, hello, sister, and make sure you get it right. You know, don't call them the wrong thing. And keep on looking at them and say, congratulations, you get to live with me forever. (laughs) Just... I mean, it's going to be awesome. Congratulations. This is a forever deal. So, yeah, some of you are like, oh, man, (laughs) this is really hard for me to say. I emphasize the body of Christ more than Antioch because this is true. The prayer of Jesus is not so Antioch can become one. The prayer of Jesus is the body of Christ would become one. And that prayer out of John 17 is going to be fulfilled. We just have to get in line and agree with it. So thank you, Lord Jesus, for the churches in the city right now. Just pray for every Jesus-loving, God-fearing, Bible-believing church in this area. Fill up their services with your presence, your grace. May Many, many, many this morning. In this part of Arkansas, Lord, be excited about God because you're with them, Lord. All right. It's going to take me a long time to get through this message. Prioritizing his presence. That phrase, when Mitchell asked me to preach on it, (coughs) took me back to my beginning days of walking with God because everything about God's presence is about presence. When I was... um, Growing up in the mountains of New Mexico, so a little bio, and you're gonna hear my bio as quickly as possible as I can make it today, but I grew up mainly in Texas, um, but I spent four four years in the mountains of New Mexico when I was a kid, and in those days, um, I would walk the mountains with my dog, and God would talk to me. I didn't know God. I wasn't a Christian. Our family didn't go to church, but I knew about God. I'd had encounters with God. I had gone to church. I mean when I say I hadn't gone, to ch- we didn't go regularly, but my friends would invite me every once in a while to church. So I had context. My, my grandparents were believers, so it's not like I was, it was new to me. But our family, we didn't, we didn't walk with God when I grew up, but I would talk to God. And this is what I remember about God as a kid. See, the main thing I remember he loves me. I just felt so loved by God. Why is this important? Because my, me- my home was a mess. It was unsafe. My parents' li- uh, marriage was a disaster. There was anger. There was fear. I had a lot of fear. I felt very alone. And yet how strange of feeling alone is it that when I would walk alone, God would meet with me. He puts the lonely into families he puts the lonely into his family and it starts with him and it ends with the church because we're his body i remember him in his presence just being one of love and then i came to know the lord when i was in seventh grade i um, went to summer camp connected the dots got saved a few months later Walked the aisle, got saved again. I think I got saved about 10 times when I was a kid, just to make sure. (laughs) A little bit of fire insurance. Wanted to make sure I wasn't going to get singed by the flames of hell. Just wanted to make sure he knew. And Sean, you know what I'm talking about? Just, yeah, he's got a little burning going on. I was aware that I was not fully sanctified yet. Not quite sure what salvation looked like in my brokenness. Let me just clear up my theology for you. We don't save ourselves. God saves us. It's not by my righteousness or my works of which I'm saved, but it's because Christ Jesus saved me. I am more aware as an old person. Anybody who's willing to say you're old in the room, raise your hand. I will look and stare you down if you don't raise your hand. Thank you. No, I wouldn't think you're old. Um, (coughs) But um, I'm more aware how weak my flesh is at 55, but I'm also way more confident about how good God is than I was when I was young. When I was young, it was all about how good can I be. I gotta prove to God that I love him. I gotta prove to God that I'm saved. As I get older, I do a lot more thanking him. God, in spite of my weakness, you are strong. I get saved. I start learning how to, you know, talking. You know, the church starts talking to me about spending time with Jesus. I, I, I got to know this guy named Oswald Chambers really well. He just would read those little snippets of devotional, you, you know, thoughts from him, read those devotional books, say a quick prayer on the way to class, yada, yada, yada. Somebody challenged me in college to spend an hour with the Lord. I said, I don't even, I don't even know what that means, That's like dramatically out of orbit for me, like an hour with God, like you mean like reading and praying, and I don't know about that. That was so overwhelming to me. Just start where you can. Okay, five minutes, great. Cha-ching! It was the tutor that led me towards grace. It's not legalistic, I don't think. It was giving me a goal, giving me something to shoot for so that I would learn to figure out who God was in his word, in his reality. Slow journey of obedience that turned into food, God's word, his teaching, forgiveness, etc. that turned into not just God feeding me, but it being a friendship. And we're going to talk about that today. Jesus on mission together, and then as I get older, I become more aware of my sonship with the Father. It's not just me being a friend. I, I, I used to talk all the time about being a friend of Jesus. I talk a lot more about being a son of God. He's a good, good father. Maybe it's because I'm a father. Maybe it's because I'm a grandfather. I understand that a little bit more. There's really nothing. I just got off of a really strong conversation with my 13-year-old son yesterday of, of him not wanting to do something that we thought was really good for him. And I think to myself, you know, he frustrates me. But there's no way I'm ever, 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 ever gonna stop loving him. I can't stop loving him. as crazy and stupid and arrogant and rebellious and whatever, and he's not that bad of a kid, just so you know. Isaac, you're not that bad of a kid. But no matter what that looks like, I'm gonna always love him. And so God started to teach me about his sonship. And this is one of my favorite little meditations. I, I, I spend back to the Word of God, he's talking about practicing his presence and obeying his word. Can I just give you a little nugget that's not a part of my message? But I have come alive in the last 10 years, I'm 55, so in my 40s, of memorizing and meditating on the Word of God every day. I'll give you a little tool that I really love. It's called Bible Memory App. If you're competitive, it's awesome. Uh, It ranks you. I mean, it's just really, I'm one of the most spiritual people in the world right now. (laughs) It's bad theology. Um, One of my favorite scriptures that that I lean into uh, uh, is Isaiah 54. The sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear as one to listen, as one being taught. That's what I want. I want to wake up with Jesus every morning and just hear him talk and respond to what he's doing. He speaks. I listen. I speak. He listens. This has been my journey for years. college, YWAM. Anybody ever heard of YWAM? Yeah. I'm sorry. (laughs) They'll wreck you. I was a good old Baptist boy, got recruited by YWAM to be in a band. That's the only reason I did it. I wanted to be in a band. So I was a mullet head Christian rock band singer for YWAM in Europe played a little sax on the side, (laughs) pretty cool, and they said, well, before you can be in the band, you got to go through our discipleship program. I'm like, great, (laughs) and it wrecked me. What wrecked me was YOM helped expand my view of who God was. They helped me see that it was not just about some kind of religious duty, but it was about relationship, and it was about the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through our lives, and I got zapped by the Holy Spirit, filled, empowered, however you want to use those descriptions of who he is, but he filled me up and changed the way that I saw him and saw the world, and kind of brought me back to college. That was during my college years. I came back. I I went out a good Southern Baptist. I came back a crazy charismatic Baptist, called my best friend who was a straight-laced Southern Baptist and said, Mark, I've just been wrecked by the Holy Spirit. He's going, what's going on? I'm coming back, man. I'm going to be changed. That's great, Sean. I'll see you later. Ding. <laughs> it's back when we had these. That's a phone, if you wonder. this <laughs> phone <laughs> like that. Hung up on me. Got into training school. We called it Master's Commission back then. Um, watch this video that I think is still going around by John Dawson. Anybody ever seen The Father Heart of God by John Dawson? Nice polyester suit, New Zealand accent, terrible video quality. Yeah, you've seen that one? Yeah, yeah it's really wrecked me. I'm in the room. Oh God, you love me, you know, in the corner, just worshiping. And seriously, from that day forward. I've never doubted the love of God for me. I never doubted that the Father is good and that he cares about me. Masters Commission, we saw people delivered of demons. We went to Eastern Europe, we saw revival, we saw massive healings, cancer, limbs, all kinds of stuff. And the biggest one of all, warts. (laughs) I was known as the wart healer, yeah. Because God had healed my warts, and I said that, and so somebody said, well, can He heal mine? And I said, well, hey, I think so. I'm just 22, but I'll pray for you. No and so this old lady you know, pulls down her, you know, warts all over her neck. I said, God, you're going to really have to help. I just, got get, I just got rid of one. There's 30 there. <laughs> no idea if those warts disappeared, but I had faith. During those times, the Lord, in his presence, was manifest in awesomeness and holiness. Have you ever been in God's presence where it's so holy that nobody can talk? You can't, you can't stand? I'm not making this up. It's like God just decides, you know what? I think we need to get serious here for a little bit. It's one of the most terrifyingly beautiful th- times with the Lord. Because you know God sees, knows everything about you, which you really don't want him to know everything about you. And you feel the reverence of God, but the grace and joy and love of God is present at the same time. You know this is God, right? This is who he is. As Mitchell was talking this morning, he says, you know, who has problems or weaknesses in their life, and we all raised our hands, we do that because it's true. It's true. And yet God is so awesomely holy to help us be free and awesomely gracious and merciful to overlook our weakness. We had lots of those moments. And then God called me during that time for a later day through Acts 1.8, but you will receive power, and the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, and I felt like the Lord said, one day I'm going to call you, this was how he personalized it for me, to, to your people. I became a youth pastor after Master's Commission, I was a youth pastor for six years, and then God said, it's time, and I said, what time is it, God. He says, it's time for you to move on, and the moving on for me was leaving Highland Baptist Church as a youth pastor to plant the first church at the time in a a small missions movement within the Baptist Church called Antioch, and so we looked at Phoenix, we looked at Vancouver, came back and asked Jimmy Seibert, who at the time was on staff at Highland and leading Antioch within Highland, where he thought we should plant a church, and he gave a few cities, but one of them that he spoke of was Boston, and that perked my ears because I felt called to go to seminary, and, and Gordon-Conwell was one of the seminaries I was looking at. Long story short, God meets with my wife and I at a, at a meeting, kind of like rural Ro- mandate in Waco, and speaks separately to us, go, and then when we compare notes, we we're like, what does that mean? And we said, I think it's Boston. We went out to the back 40 of this campground, sat on the porch, looked up, and right when we said, God, will do it, we prayed. We look up, and there's a meteor shower. I speak that not to say that that's how God has to speak. God just knew that I need a medi- needed a meteor shower to stay in Boston because <laughs> when I got there, I said, this is a land of strange people. <laughs> I am not in Texas anymore. And he's kept me there. Partly because of that meteor, that darn meteor shower. The last sermon I preached, this is a long ramp up to the sermon today. Okay, so that was just an introduction. How's that feel? <laughs> Woo! Okay, I'll go, I'll go quickly here. The ramp up to the passage of scripture, somebody's out there like going, this guy is great, but he does not use the Bible. <laughs> Here's the Bible. The last message that I preached when they sent us out to Boston, and this was—I—I re, I was reminded of this when Mitchell asked me to share—was Exodus 33. So look with me in Exodus 33, verse 11. There it'll be up on the top. It'll be um, here, wherever that is, right here. <clears throat> but Exodus 33 is Moses has just been on Mount Sinai. The children of Israel have worshipped with the golden calf. God's not too happy. He sends a plague. There's not, it's not a good scene for the children of Israel. Moses intercedes. God says, I'm going to fulfill my promise to you because I'm a covenant-keeping God. You're going to make it to the promised land. I'm just so angry with you, I'm not going with you. I'm going to send an angel. That's holy self-control. I could wipe you out because you are an evil people, but I'm not. I told you I wouldn't. I'm not going to I'm going to get you I'm going to get some of you to the promised land. And Moses said, God, wow. We can't do this without you. And so he intercedes. Moses went into the tent of meeting verse 11 and inside the tent of meeting. I want you I'm reading this just as an intro to the text the next few verses, but this is a picture of what Mitchell was talking about last week and what we get to inherit from God. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one who speaks with a friend. Afterwards, Moses would return to the camp, but the young man who assisted him, this is important, Joshua would remain behind in the tent of meeting. How many of you know that Moses did not get into the promised land? But you know who did? Joshua. You know why he got into the promised land? Because he spent time with God and believed the words of God. And he was found faithful, him and Caleb. When they went to scout out the land, they said, you know what? There's a lot of giants here, but you got it, God. We know you. How did he know God? He knew God because he was in the tent of meetings with God. And he met with him. That's free. It's not part of my message, but it's really good. No, it actually is. How How does that work with us? Jesus comes. It's not just Moses. It's not just one person. It's anybody who knows Jesus. The Spirit of God fills us. We now are the temples of the living God. And in Hebrews 10, and so, dear brothers and sisters, we can now boldly enter into this tent of meetings, this heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and living way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest, Jesus, who rules over God's house, let's go into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him, for our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Amen? There is no sin that you committed last night that, gives, that denies you access into the presence of God this morning. I'm not saying that you should keep on sinning. Paul talks about that in Romans. God's grace is not a license for us to continue to live unholy. But when we do fail or fall, God's not saying, Nope, you can't come in here. He's actually saying, Get on in here. Get on in here. Because you need to be washed, you need to be cleansed, you need to be restored, you need to be encouraged, you need to be lifted up because Jesus' blood on the cross has opened the veil for you to enter into my presence. This has been the desire of my heart for eternity when the Trinity was fellowshipping with one another and we came up with the idea that we wanted to create human beings to fellowship with us. Our plan was not to come and judge and destroy. Our plan was we want a lot of people to experience this. Amen? You're not happy enough. This is good news. I mean, this is the climax of my sermon. <laughs> Woo! Okay, maybe not, but it's good. Yes, thank you. I want you in Boston. Can you move to Boston? Okay. Right, okay. Yeah, you said thumbs up. Everybody saw him. <laughs> Hope he's a man of his word. Just believe it, He's a man of his word, God. Back to Exodus. Here we go. Verse 12. One day Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, take these people up into the promised land. Just a side note for this. If, as I interpreted this word when I was being sent out for a Texas, Texan transplant, I was not sure that Boston was the promised land. It's getting a little bit more like it. But you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You've told me I know you by name and I look favorably on you. If it is true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways so I may understand you more fully. Continue to enjoy your favor. And remember that this nation is your own people. The Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses. I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. Then Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me me and on your people if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all the people on the earth. Why did Moses ask? What did Moses ask for? He's saying, God, you've told me to lead these people. Now, will you teach me your ways that I may know you fully so I will walk in your blessing? And by the way, will you take care of these people that you've called me to lead? This is really hard work. What's God's response? He actually responds a little bit differently. Moses asked for him to teach him his ways, to bless him, and to take care of these people. And God says, What? I'll be your friend, you'll walk in rest, and everything's gonna be okay. Do you hear the different do you hear the question and hear the different response? God was going to the the heart of what's important. As a pastor, let me tell you my story. I was sitting up to Boston, our vision statement for the first five years of Boston. You ready? We're gonna have 5,000 people in 500 life groups, multiplying campuses, TV ads. No, I'm just kidding. Five years later, Five years later, were you there five years? Yeah, 70 people, 100 people. I don't know, not super big. Not 500 life life groups. And God began to take me on a journey of what does it look like to prioritize my success in being with him instead of what is produced. I'd like to say that I learned that the next year. (laughs) It took me a long time to learn that. The subtle intricacies of my heart and my desires got exposed over and over again. Because how many of you know that pastors like to be successful? Pray for your pastor. It's a temptation. It's a temptation when you lead people that something would look good for you. I'm not saying this about Mitchell. I don't know him well enough. I know me well enough to know as much as I thought I was a humble man, God wanted a lot more humility out of me. And that humility is rooted in what our reward is. Let me say that again. That reality is rooted in what our reward is. What's your reward? God's speaking to that right here. What are God's ways? Friendship and rest. Friendship and Sabbath. What are man's ways? Task over relationship. Task without rest. And a lot of worry along the way. And that's not just outside the church. That's embedded within the church. I'm not talking at you. I'm talking at me. His presence, friendship and rest, Sabbath. Do you know Sabbath? Actually, Mitchell said, could you talk a little bit about Sabbath? I'm going to just go really quickly because it's 1112. But Sabbath was created in the creation order. From the very beginning, God was giving us a little picture. I want to say, and I'll tell you this, Sabbath is not a law. It's a gift. Oh, man, I actually feel the presence of the Lord even while I'm saying this. Man, if we would get that, he didn't need to rest. Genesis 2 said that after having done all the work of creating, God rested. Why? Because he was tired? No, because he wanted to communicate to you and us that we'll be tired. You can rest in me. What have I learned about Sabbath? I can trust God. The two passages of Sabbath scripture, Sabbath commands, Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, tell us what we are getting free from when we Sabbath and or what we are being given over to. That there is in creation an offering to rest, but also that in Sabbath we're being set free from bondage to the earthly masters. In our world, the the illusion in the Sabbath offering in Deuteronomy is about being freed from as slaves of Egypt. What's our slavery now that's opposite of Sabbath? Being mastered by time and our own performance. What is Sabbath? Sabbath is saying, God, I trust you to do in six days what I have to do in seven. I trust that I can give you worship and, and let you take over. And I can rest. And it's not really about seven days. It's really about our life. God, do I trust you? It's a gift. I fully embrace. It's not a vacation. It's a sanctified rest. Okay, back to Exodus. Blessing. God would bring a blessing. What's the blessing? Greater wisdom, greater success, protection, honor. All of that comes with God. But that's not the greatest blessing. The greatest blessing that God pronounced is friendship, rest, and partnering with him. Back to my story, and I'll finish up here. (coughs) I've been a pastor for 25 years in Boston. Been married 30, five kids. I have a lot of things to be thankful for. There's been a lot that God has done in spite of me. We have five churches in Boston now. We have a church in Phoenix that came out of out of Boston and we have numerous missionaries overseas. So there's there's a string of of people whose lives have been impacted by the church that I've been a part of um, and really just beautiful, beautiful people that God's allowed us to walk with. Um, But my journey as a leader was one part intimacy with Jesus and one part flesh. And when I say flesh, I'm saying this performance model in me, God dealing with, this shame model of walking in shame, in defensiveness that God had to deal with, this this model of expectation that you're putting expectations on me that I can't carry, that all are rooted in things God was wanting to do deep in me. And so... Right before COVID, God said, I want to take you out of ministry for a year, I'm, I'm calling a sabbatical. God, Antioch doesn't do your sabbaticals. They're going to start doing them with you. So I was the first... Burned out pastor to take a year sabbatical. He, he talked about carrying the heavy load. It was real an honoring step. You know, the, these, these founders like Sean have just been carrying the load and just doing these things for us. No, we've just been paying a lot of stupid tax. God just sent me out to say, okay, you make a lot of mistakes so everybody can learn from you. A year sabbatical with the word, Sean, your operating system is broken. I want to give you a new operating system. And what was that new operating system? more self-awareness that it's more about God than it is about me. I I need to rest more, let God do more. I need to trust him more and release expectations to him. And I need to be okay in my weakness to experience feedback, honest feedback, conflict, all that stuff in the spirit of grace and humility and kindness and the fruit of the spirit and not receive shame as people speak truth and love and also not to put shame on you. These are things that God was working in me. He's still working in me on them. He just asked my wife. You're not finished yet, Sean. Okay, let's end here. Let me look at my notes and see if there's something else I really want to say. So one of the key verses for my coming out of my sabbatical that has to do with his presence (coughs) is 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, and 24. May God himself the God of shalom, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through, Sean. May your whole spirit, your soul, your body, your mind, will, and emotions, your physical body be sanctified, be made more like God through and through. I love that, but my my favorite part of this whole passage of Scripture is the next part of that. And the one who is faithful, God, he will do it. He's going to do it, Sean. Which means I need to be in God's presence. I need to be a friend of God. I need to walk with him. I need to meditate upon his word. I need to live with him. It's all about me just being a friend. It's all just about me walking in Sabbath rest with God. It's all just about God's going to take care of it if I will just trust him, it's all about Exodus 33. I was shocked when I went back and looked at this passage of scripture and thought, you spoke this over me 25 years ago. Whoa. (laughs) And God, I get it so much more today. Your presence among us. If you're young... Listening to this message, and most of you are, I would say, learn it now. Learn anything that's come out of this message that has hit your heart. Take it to root. Take it to heart. Let it root in you. If you're in the room and the warning lights have started to go off on this in the sermon, you're like beep beep beep. That's me. Oh ah. Let that be the holy conviction of the Lord saying, come into my presence. Let's do this together. Whatever it takes. If you're walking in this way, pray for others. Lead the way. Don't turn back. Chart the course. Get out in front of us. Last thing. Exodus thirty-three sixteen. So he goes through all of that. He promises what we just talked about, and then he says, And then then Moses said, God, if you don't go go with us, your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all people, all the other people on the earth. I believe that. I believe that if this church walks in friendship with God, walks in Sabbath rest, walks in a hope or a trust that God is going to do what he wants to do and he's going to fulfill it. There's going to be such an attractive fragrance that the world is going to say God's with you or something's with you. Who is it? Something's different. This is the purest form of evangelism, being friends of God. Acts 2 talks about it. They were meeting together. They were sharing their lives. They were seeing miracles happen, and it says people wanted to be with them. God keep kept on adding daily those who were being saved. It didn't say, and they were going out into the streets and they were preaching the gospel all the time. Maybe they were doing that, but the picture is they were experiencing the presence of God, and people were like, "What's going on in there? What's going on in your life? Wow, I want to see it. Wanna, what is it? Open door for evangelism. All right, let's pray." Lord Mitchell and I prayed this this morning. I was going to share it, but um, my prayer when I started off this morning was, God, um, I don't want to come with wise and persuasive words, but I want to come with you demonstrating your power so that this room, these men and women in this room, would not rest on any of my wisdom, but they would, their faith would rest on your power. So, Lord, would you bring the power to transform right now in people's lives? Would you turn light bulbs on in people's hearts? Would you stir faith to walk a different course? Would you bring relief so that people can lay down their burdens and their cares? Whatever you need to do in this room, by your power, By your grace, would you do that, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name.